Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Today we are talking about sacred harlotry, so sacred sex and sexuality and spirituality. So if that works for you, awesome. I'm excited about it. If you're squeamish about that, come back another time. Usually we're pretty comfy and cozy and wholesome and like PG-13, but not today. <laughs> so <laughs> you've been advised. So content warning for this episode includes a spicy alert this is overall and not safe for work 18 plus episode and other content warnings for this episode include smoking on camera dysphoria mental health religion bdsm sexuality sexual taboos anal sex and trauma so meowdy everyone i'm gender meowster i use they them pronouns i have new co-hosts on on stream today cleo catra and beatrix both use she per pronouns they're doing a big heckin' nap, being cute. And I will let my illustrious human guests introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Ladyboy Gigi, and I'm a sacred harlot. And I recently just completed my certification in sex coaching and sexology. And my pronouns are basically, I go by all of them, but I'm leaning more and more towards they and them identify as intersex, but even more so as a hermaphrodite. And basically, I've been interested in sexology all my life, but in Texas, they don't really have a good program in, on sexology. So I had to go out of state and get certified instead of getting my PhD in sexology because the tuition was just way too exorbitant. But anyway, pagan, and I've um, been pagan most of my adult life. For a long time, I was solo pagan. And then I got in touch with some pagan organizations here in Texas. And from there, it took off. But that's a little bit about me. <laughs> It's so wonderful to have you here, Gigi. Thanks for being my 50th talk show episode guest. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so ah, exciting. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. Oh, my gosh. There are so many things we could talk about. But for whatever reason, my brain has decided to ask, is your certificate from Annie Sprinkle or some other entity? It's from Sex Coach University. And it's really well recognized it's Dr. Patty Britton runs it, and she's been in the field for, she has her doctorate in sexology, and she's been training sex coaches for quite a few years now. That's awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to get the link for that later so we can go look at that together. You mentioned briefly during tech that you have a podcast yourself. That's why you have such a cool microphone. Oh, yeah. What is your show and what do you do? What do you talk about? 
it's adult bedtime stories. And basically we, I kind of got appalled because we get no sex education, even for married couples. We're supposed to instinctually know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I started adult bedtime stories as the uh, sex ed that you didn't get in high school, but should have. <laughs> and that. so we talk about everything sexual and we talk about everything sexual because we don't get an adequate sex education, even for married couples. Yeah. And sex isn't something you can just learn by instinct. It's much more complex. And we take the Meads approach. It's, mind, body, emotions, spirit, and energy. And sex kind of affects us on all these levels. It's not just something that happens in our bodies. It's also partly an emotional thing and partly a spiritual thing. And so I get into a lot of the spiritual aspects of sexuality and how to form a deeper connection. And I've studied tantric sex and Taoist sexual techniques to delve a little deeper into the spiritual side of sexuality. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That's You proposed so many different topics we could talk about, and I feel like that intersection of spirituality and sexuality is where I wanted to really focus because you're such a specialist. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on general (laughs) 101 pagan stuff (laughs) because it's so exciting as much as you do about things. Before we dive into the sacred harlotry, I would love to just ask a couple questions about just your personal life story and your personal journey as Gigi, the person. So what are some things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be intersex or trans or gender diverse? I think the first sign was when I started trying on women's clothing because men's clothing didn't quite feel right, Mm -hmm. but neither did women's clothing exactly. I felt like somewhere in between. I felt like I was walking in the shadows of sex. And then I went through a period where I was very having a lot of weird feelings and so i thought let me try out the women's bathroom see if that fits better didn't feel like i belonged in the men's bathroom Mm -hmm. so i snuck in at a park and snuck into the women's bathroom and sat down and peed and then got out of there and i thought well that didn't feel much more comfortable either (laughs) And I thought, where do I fit into all this? Mm-hmm. And back then, I didn't know about intersex or hermaphrodites. And I thought, it's weird. And the other thing that kind of came up uh, repeatedly growing up was the all boys club wouldn't accept me. Mm-hmm. And the women, when the girls in my network of friends also wouldn't invite me to the slum, all girls slumber party, parties. Mm-hmm. And so I just, where did I fit into all this? And it was a haunting feeling just going through childhood. And also, I think the other thing was that being dyslexic and ADHD, I have bad eye hand coordination. So, guess what that did to the three big sports? <laughs> I was a fumbling misfit mm-hmm. on the court. And 
my, I remember one time my father was, he had spent hours and hours trying to train me how to get that ball into this little metal hoop thing. And I got anywhere but that. And he finally just sat down on the curb and just put his hands in it over his face and shook his head. And, and I realized, okay, I, I can't be the boy he wanted me to. I'm not the male that he wanted. And I was first born and I was even, I changed my name legally, but at that time I was, had his name, I was a junior. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> my and my so, dad is a junior. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I was a big lit down to him growing up. Mm -hmm. And so it just, and it got worse as the years went on. I, he eventually started mistreating me physically hmm. he beat me and i just couldn't measure up yeah and i think a big part of that was around that i couldn't be boy enough i'm not a real boy yeah but you are a real person oh yes <laughs> <laughs> wow that um i've heard stories like this before and i'm still sorry that is what your childhood experience was like. Fortunately, I had a grandmother that was very liberal and she took me under her wings, so to speak. And she knew when I was having a down day and really feeling a little bit of the gender dysphoria or maybe just feeling a little depressed. And mm -hmm. she said, I don't want you to tell any of your brothers and sisters I'm going to take you to A&W Root Beer and get you a root beer float. So cute. And to this day, root beer floats are my comfort food. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Basically, my grandmother was the liberal person and really watched out for me. And she was the pickup for me. She'd mm -hmm. take me for root beer floats. And to this day, that's my comfort food. It's like there's something just very special. I love that. When I was a kiddo, I had a guy as a best friend and we would play Zelda on the Nintendo 64 and his mom would make us Velveeta mac and cheese, like with Velveeta. Wow. <laughs> and so to this day, macaroni and cheese is one of my big comfort foods. It's just so cozy to me. It feels like video games and having a boyhood. <laughs> In fact, it was in my teenage years that my grandmother came up to me one day and she said, I don't care who you want to bring over. My porch swing is always open to you for courtship. And it's the cutest she thing. Knew ever. I was, <laughs> she knew I was bisexual. We Aww. never said the word, but she knew I was attracted to both. <laughs> that's so wonderful. Supportive grandparents. That's like rare. That's so oh cool. yeah, she got her. She was one of the first women to get a degree from Rice University here in Houston. Before cool. her, it was all male school, mm -hmm. and that was in the early twenties. Wow! So you, <laughs> your ancestry has some like feminist edge pushers. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. That's in your lineage. That's so great. So you went from. A kiddo who was not great at sports and had a wonderful grandmother who liked to give you root beer 
to being a an adult with all of these cool certifications and things and sex coaching and what have you like what happened between then and now like how has your gender evolved over time and how did you find your way to being comfortable in your I think the first thing that happened <clears throat> I took a course in college on human sexuality is when I think about the second or third semester I went to college and when we got to intersex conditions I started reading down the list of the criteria and I said, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Oh, holy shit, I must be intersex. Uh (laughs) And then I took a course called Philosophy of Ancient Religions. And in that course, we studied like ancient sex temples, Buddhas, Hinduism, you name it. But Mm -hmm. the ancient sex temples really stood out for me. And one of the things that really surprised me was that, guess who ran them? The shamans. Mm -hmm. And people that were intersex or hermaphrodite, And that's partly why I use the word hermaphrodite today in honor of our ancestors, because they had a form and function in society. They were the priests and priestesses of the ancient sex temples, as well as a lot of the trans people that were of that time. And so they, the ancients believed because we could walk on both sides of gender, it prepared us to not only walk in the material world, but to walk in this realm of the spirit, the non-material world. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would go to the sex temples for sexual healing and for psychosexual healing. Mm -hmm. In fact, in ancient Roman times, it was required for soldiers returning from war to go to a sex temple for healing before coming back to society. I love that. And I thought, this is powerful stuff. And back in ancient Rome, they didn't have PTSD Mm -hmm. with the returning soldiers because they took several months to go through this healing process with a sacred harlot. And I thought, after studying all that, and realizing, okay, and one of the things that went through my head a lot of the time was the word shaman. And I kept thinking, no, that's interesting. Maybe that kind of is close to she-man. And I thought, and I think I'm a she-man. That's when I started playing with the idea of using the title lady boy Mm -hmm. because I identified and I it was through that class I really figured out where I fit into the whole gender thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not a male. I'm not a female. I'm a little bit of both and neither. And a, a she-man. And it was through that class that I realized we have, in our society today, we're trying to eradicate people that have both, that are born with both, but in ancient times, they honored and wor- even worshipped these people. And they had a form and a place and a function in society. They were the spiritual healers, the psychosexual healers. And they yeah. did a lot of body work and body healing. Yeah. 
And what better way to heal from the horrors of war than to have a good sex time with a sacred harlot and have all that horrible nightmare replaced with states of sexual ecstasy Mm -hmm. and bringing ourselves to that. And it's my belief today that when we become sexually aroused and reach that higher state of ecstasy, we're entering into a higher form of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, what happens when you get into that state of heightened ecstasy? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're focused in the moment. You're not thinking about yesterday or tomorrow, about grocery lists or to-do lists. You're fully present. And you're fully within your body. You're out of your head a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you're in this state of just bliss. Mm-hmm. And in ancient Greece, they believed that if a human ate ambrosia, the food of the gods, it would make them feel this state of bliss. They would be fully in the present and be very conscious of everything around them at that moment and even tibetan monks spend years practicing meditation to reach that state of consciousness Mm -hmm. well we can reach it through a really good sexual experience Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take years and years of study to get there it just takes oh baby let me get down on you it's an altered state a-l-t-a-r-e-d (laughs) Yeah. And so that's what started me on my path of the sacred harlot was just realizing, well, in a way, that's part of my heritage is a hermaphrodite. That's where I come from, or at least my ancestors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. What rich conversations we're already having. This is so wonderful. So if you were to give a really basic definition how would you try to define spiritual sexuality or sacred harlotry for folks who've never heard of this concept before? Ah, okay. Basically, for me, spiritual sexuality is when you're getting into a higher state of consciousness and you're bringing sex with intent to reach a heightened state of consciousness, a more spiritual And think about when you have an orgasm and right after in the afterglow, it's like you feel this connection with your partner or maybe even the universe. And there's this kind of connection that occurs that, oh, I'm part of it all. I belong here. It's a sense of belonging. I feel like oftentimes when we reach that higher state of ecstasy, we're in the moment we're not only connected with ourselves and our bodies, we're connected with the people around us, the universe. And that to me is a very spiritual connection. When all of a sudden I feel like, oh, I'm one with all. Mm -hmm. That to me is that intersection of spirituality and sexuality. It's I have communed with the universe through sex. Mm-hmm. And that's how I define sacred sexuality. But I think also intention is really important 
I had a uh, shaman come up to me one day and he said, you can do a pagan ritual and everything can go perfect and everything will fall flat on its face if you don't have a good intention behind mm -hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. If you set a good intention, everything can go wrong during the ritual, but it comes out working and right at the end. Yeah. Because you set the right intention. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big part of sex magic and s spiritual sexuality is setting that intention, making that connection. Yeah. I think intention is a really important part of any magic when you're, when your body is coming together with another person or people's bodies, intention becomes that much more important because you need to have that level of intention to acquire consent. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to throw in the word consent, too, because I think when you're getting into the spiritual side of sexuality, you want to build those bonds of trust. Mm -hmm. And you can't build trust and bonding without consent. It's mm -hmm. got to be a two-way street. It can't be a one-way. <laughs> yeah. And if you are a deist as opposed to an animist or some other form of pagan, you also need consent between you and your god or gods or deities, whatever they are. <laughs> and that's a whole juicy thing I'm sure we'll get into eventually. But for now, we have two two questions from the chat that I wanted to offer you. The first question is from More Than Mimi. I always associated the terms intersex and hermaphrodite to be more genital-based descriptions. Can you please elaborate on what those terms mean to you? I think for me... For most of my life, sex, I have a penis, it dangles around, and I spent many years around many campfires at pagan events mm -hmm. saying, no, I'm not male, I'm a, and I'd run around naked, everybody could see all my bits flopping around. And <clears throat> sex goes much more deeper. We all actually start out as female in the womb. And it's not until the process of sexual differentiation occurs that we separate into something. It's more of a spectrum than just male versus female. Mm -hmm. So we ha all have a little bit of male and female within our bodies. It's, and sex is also partly mind. It's how we identify. And I think that was one of the missing ingredients for me growing up was that I couldn't, I didn't feel male. I didn't feel female. And even my wife, she doesn't feel female. Mm -hmm. She says, I'm, <clears throat> I know what it is to be a woman, the definitions, I have all the parts, but I'm not female. And so sex goes, sex is much more complex than just boy or girl. It's non-binary. And when the differentiation process occurs, they can do sexual reassignment surgery on a little hermaphrodite infant and try to make it look like one or the other. But the scalpel only cuts so deep. I think our true sex or gender mm -hmm. lies even deeper in. Yeah. It's partly, and on all this being dyslexic, I was, went through a lot of 
ADHD testing, with neuropsychological exams, and on every one of them, they said, you're not masculine enough in your thinking process. Mm, interesting. And so sex is more than just body parts. It's also a mindset. Gender, it goes much deeper than just body parts. Yeah, gender totally does. And sex does too. In mm. fact, I was forced to throw like a boy in PE class. My both my shoulders, because I'm ambidextrous, hurt to this day because I injured myself trying to throw like a boy. Mm. And I've had many doctors and other people that are more aware of diff subtle differences, but my skeletal frame is not male. It's not exactly female either. It's somewhere in between. Mm -hmm and being forced to do push-ups and all the male exercises like a male took their toll. And so what is sex? We have to go back to the question. Is it just what's between our legs or something much more complex mm -hmm. and much deeper? And I, that's part of the spiritual side for me is seeing that sex is much more than just body parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's much more complex for sure. So we have a question from Nick Creative. Does Gigi have any resources for masturbation meditations or something similar? I have found some, but I'm always looking for more. And I can add for me an additional piece of that question, which is, do you have suggestions that are non-binary or degendered? Because so often mm -hmm. sex tapes, tantra, CDs, whatever, are very like the male or the masculine is this way and the female or feminine is this way. And it's, can I just get like a trans, like all the genders yeah. option, please? Why does it have to be so <laughs> locked into heteronormativity? <laughs> Actually, I do I have a guided erotic meditation that, no matter what your gender, where you fall on the spectrum, it applies. Because mm. I don't refer to male parts or female parts in the guided meditation. I, In fact, I want this to be your journey, so I give little guideposts for you to fill in the gaps of what you desire. Mm -hmm. I don't try to say, oh, there is one point where I do talk a little bit about intercourse, as part of the guided meditation, but even intercourse can refer to many different types, everything from using a strap-on and anal play to, or a strap-on and vaginal penetration to whatever you want to define it as. And so when I get into the intercourse part, or even talking about the genitals, I use non-sexist or sex-identifying terms. Mm -hmm. Like I say, you bring your mouth close to your partner's genitals mm -hmm. and you feel the softness around their genitals. And I do this guided meditation to the best of my ability to not refer to specific parts or specific likings or dislikings. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I want it to be a positive experience and have you fill in what's really yummy, good erotica for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there another one that's for solo play for those who don't have a I'll have to develop one. Cool. And I do actually I do have a set of exercises. It's called erotic morning. I do them in the morning. You can do them at night, but it's erotic morning affirmations. And basically I had a lot of negative self-talk growing up. Being dyslexic and ADHD and one of the early ones in our culture, I was before special ed. And I just got, the school system didn't understand me. And I remember having principals get down on the floor, just kneeling and begging me to have at least one good day because they were doing an evaluation of the school today or Mm. any number of things. Just get Mm. through a day. I had one principal that set up a corner for me because I was in there so often. (laughs) And I think that part of the problem for me was it wasn't that I was broken. It was that the school system was broken. And I think that for me, trying to fit into something that I'm not, it gets back to the gender thing, mm-hmm. trying to fit into something that I don't belong into doesn't work. So I came up with all this identifying my negative mind talk. Cause I came out of school going, boy, you're off. Even a friend told me you're so hard on yourself. You have such negative mind talk. And I, it, the end of high school I didn't even love myself Mm -hmm. and he said I want you to start saying I love you in the mirror every morning and that's where my positive affirmations got born I tried it for 60 days and all of a sudden I transformed I started loving myself and then I realized later in life a little later on many years later that when we get into a state of ecstasy, we are able to receive at a deeper level. And so I decided, let's combine the affirmations with a heightened state of ecstasy and see what happens. And so I recorded a whole bunch of my negative mind talk converted to positive self-affirming statements recorded and I'm on my phone and I get in bed and I'd start stroking my body and my dick would get hard and it would feel so good. And then I'd start playing with my nipples and stroking myself. And I bring myself almost to that point of no return feeling all good. And then I'd hit the play button with the affirmations as I continue just staying on that edge of an orgasm Mm -hmm. and I just listen and let it come into me and I'd imagine it just like coming into my pussy taking Mm -hmm. it into my body and really deeply bringing these affirmations into me my inner core being Mm -hmm. and I think that when we get sexually aroused we open ourselves we become more vulnerable Mm -hmm. and when we can bring those affirmations then all of a sudden it becomes life transformational 
I used to feel real self-conscious about being naked. Hmm. And after doing affirmations for just, it usually takes about two months for it to really sink in good. But once it did, I felt, oh, I am sexy and beautiful. I'm not this clumsy person that just can't get it right. I have grace. And I thought, oh, my arms are too long, um, clumsy. I changed the statement. I said, my arms are elegant in my length, and I have this ability to be graceful. And what happened after that, I listened to that for a couple of months. I signed up for gymnastics. Wow. And then I signed up for modern dance and ballet. And the subconscious says, okay, you're graceful now. And so let's make this happen. What we tell ourselves becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. And the subconscious, I didn't do this intentionally. I was, you know, I had to take a PE requirement. I knew, okay, I'm not taking the three big ones. Mm-hmm. That would be just horrible. <laughs> I don't want to go through that nightmare again. I can't. I used to have bullies that said, oh, if you're on my team, I'm going to beat you up after school. Oh, wow. I finally got smart and I said, I went up to the biggest bully and I said, I tell you what, if you protect me, if you protect me on my way home from school today, I'll be on the other team. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> so I got my bodyguard. <laughs> oh, that's so clever. But I think... So, go ahead. Yeah. I think doing these kind of reaffirming myself, it, it gave me, in thinking outside the box, it really opened new doors for me and helped me see new solutions that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. I I love that we've talked about like three questions in one. So we've talked about mindful masturbation and edging and erotic (laughs) affirmations. Is there anything else you want to say about those three things before I ask you about energy orgasms? Oh, yeah. I think that if you don't practice daily eroticism of some form or another, you're really missing out because guess what? getting aroused does and getting close and even orgasm, but you don't have to achieve orgasm. Just getting into that aroused state, your body starts making some really good chemistry, everything from oxytocin to endorphins to all those feel good chemicals release in your brain. And so it really helps you elevate and feel better about yourself when you have good sex daily, mm-hmm. whether it's masturbation and especially mindful masturbation, when you really focus in on loving yourself and giving pleasure to yourself at a deep level, all of a sudden your body's responding and giving you all these yummy chemicals that make you feel connected with the universe and with yourself. And with your partner, if you have a partner. Mm -hmm. But that's when I really started loving myself at a deeper level. And also, I took myself out on a date. 
and I did everything I would have done for a partner, I did for myself and made it extra special, including a champagne bubble bath with candles and then lovemaking with myself. It was more than just masturbation. Mm -hmm. It became a deeper connection with my own body. And that's part of the spiritual side, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we we return once again to intention. Mm -hmm. The intention was romance and love and sweetness. And guess what that does to your energy levels? It increases since <laughs> I, well, not only that, but since I started doing that, I yeah. used to think, oh, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. Today's mm-hmm. going to be a bad mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I don't have those anymore. Because yeah. the first thing I do every morning, I raise that erotic energy. You don't even have to reach orgasm. Mm-hmm. Many times I'll just bring myself very close and stay on the edge of orgasm. I'll do the orgasm later. But just getting those chemicals flowing and I'll do some breathing techniques and circulate that energy away from the genitals up into the full body. Because Mm -hmm. in our culture, we tend to focus on the genitals way too much during sex. Mm -hmm. And so circulating that erotic energy, bringing it up out of the genitals and dispersing it through the body that's when I first started having my full body orgasms Mm -hmm. and I've taught this to many men I said if you want a whole new sexual orgasm experience practice this stuff yeah and you'll start having full body orgasms not just the firework orgasm down there yeah as as someone who is assigned female at birth and has been taking testosterone I've seen the way that my body experiences orgasm change over time. It's interesting. Like, it's like I've gone from full body to firework and I'm like, wait a minute, where did the good one go? I'm upset. You can get it back by doing some deep. And I do this exercise called the lover's breath and I can teach it to you right now. And I'll have you do, and I'd like the people listening in to do this too, because it really makes an, amazing difference you want to take a deep breath forcing air into your lungs hold it for a second and then open your throat and sigh the breath out slowly and make an audible noise and i'm going to go through five of them with you go the vibrations in your chest but do you feel the sensation how it just awakens things in your whole body when you do just that breath Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine like doing that when more you... energy here in my head and a little bit more like in my heart chakra chest area too. Yeah. But take sex energy and it pumps it up from the genitals, your root chakra, mm-hmm. all the way up through all of your chakras and disperses it throughout your entire body. Yeah. I love that. It's like energy cycling. Yeah, which sex like, is energy. <laughs> it is. Well, and in, in my pagan practice, I will often do a grounding, which is going down energetically and connecting with the earth and maybe <laughs> all the elements through the ground and then bringing that energy up and maybe even sending it up into the sky. 
and then bringing uh-huh. in that like astral star energy down and then mixing it all like in my cauldron and my pelvic bowl pelvic floor but i love the idea of adding one's own sex energy to that mix and then cycling all of that through the body and then releasing the rest as an offering back to the earth or the sky or wherever that energy is needed in the world if it's a conflict that's going on or someone who's got a sickness or what have you what a wonderful practice and i do practice my morning affirmations for at least half an hour and sometimes I'll spend an hour each morning before I get up and do well other than brush my teeth and use the bathroom first just because I don't want a full bladder when I'm doing it yeah it it really helps it may feel so much better yeah and then I just take some time with myself to start my day right now I've got a friend that prefers to do them at night Mm -hmm. And he, he says, oh, I sleep so much better when I do this at night. Mm-hmm. And so if you have trouble sleeping, you can do them at night. And it'll put a lot of people into a much more state of mind where you're more conducive towards sleep. Because if you're worrying about stuff and that squirrel cage is turning, that shuts off the squirrel cage at night. Yeah, it's nice to be able to shut the squirrel cage off. <laughs> And sometimes I do it both morning and night. It's a good way to start and end each day. <laughs> yeah, I'm. this question isn't on the paper, but I wonder about using some of these techniques for trans people that have had a bottom surgery. Because um, mm-hmm. like in the case of my spouse, for example, she and she has very publicly had this surgery and we like made diary entries about it on like YouTube. So I'm not like outing her right now, but she had gender confirmation surgery on her bottom and it took a long time for her nerve endings to come back. And so now mm-hmm. like in her late forties, she's having to learn how to have sex for the first time with her new configuration. And it's, it takes a really long time. It takes several hours for her yeah. to get anywhere like that is far. Um, I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah. How these techniques could help someone recovering from surgery or how breath work in a more embodied experience and tapping into nerve endings that are still online and what have you. I'd love to hear you talk more about it. Now I actually had a friend that was, had no feeling from the waist down Mm. due to an injury, back injury. And I taught him how to have full-blown ejaculatory orgasms just from nipple play Mm. and some guided erotica. And I I didn't come up with the storyline for him. I said, I want you to tell me what used to really get your dick hard. Tell me what what was some of your best sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. And then I developed a guided erotic meditation while we played with his nipples. Mm -hmm. And just the mind is our most powerful sex organ. You can use your imagination. I've actually had full-blown orgasms just from fantasy alone, no Mm -hmm. touching. Yeah. And so part of it is reconditioning and retuning into our bodies and even imagining I had a girlfriend once that really wanted to feel what it felt like to be a boy. So I had her put on the strap on and fuck me up the ass. Mm-hmm. And I said, 
And as we went through it, I talked her through it. I said, oh, I feel that dick of yours. It's feeling harder and harder. Do you feel it getting more erect? And I'd have her visualize and feel this. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, at the end of it, she said, wow, it felt like I had a real dick Mm -hmm. going through this experience with you. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I have to tell this story because this was pr- very profound change in my life. I was a late bloomer being intersex. I didn't reach puberty till I was almost 17, but I knew about sex. I was playing with babysitters and playing doctor with other kids. I love that tingly feeling down there, but I hadn't ever had an orgasm and I heard about orgasms before I was even able to have one. Mm -hmm. And so I started searching what I could and learned everything I could about orgasm. And I thought, oh, I know all there is to know about orgasm. And then I got finally got old enough. I had my first orgasm and I said, holy cow, I don't know anything about orgasm. This is incredible. (laughs) And I'm, illustrate this because there's a difference between academic knowledge and experiential knowledge. We can know something academically and think, oh, we know all there is to know about it. But it's not until we experience something that all of a sudden a whole new universe opens up to us. I love that you had a partner. I don't know if your partner at the time who used the strap-on is transmasculine identified now or not, but I love the idea of having like energetic sex organs that maybe Uh don't exist on the physical plane, but absolutely exist on the astral plane. Because I've definitely been in like pagan rituals where people have noticed, oh, your aura or your energy is very much a different gender than what you were assigned at birth. And like, I've seen it too in different Mm -hmm. people and see the trans uh, spirituality everywhere. It's cool. It's really cool to experience. And that's, that's something being a hermaphrodite. I've done that naturally most Mm -hmm. of my sex life. And there's times when I get into, and I have both male orgasms and female orgasms. I have Mm -hmm. for more go. When I have orgasms, they're they're a little different. The male ones are more like the volcanoes spurting off. Mm-hmm. And the female ones are more like waves slapping up on the beach, one after another. And they go on and on for a while. And it's, ooh, I like both kinds. And yeah. every once in a while, I have them simultaneously together. And that part sounds amazing. An, I've actually had <laughs> multiple ejaculations for over five minutes. Wow. That's, that's, I would say that's God tier. And I can teach people how to do that. It's not that hard. The hard part is learning how to edge an orgasm and do it for a very long time. I I Mm -hmm. went with constant body and genital stimulation for all, well, the first time I did it for the whole weekend, starting Mm -hmm. Friday night and every waking hour I was either being stimulated with partners. I'm polyamorous, so I have Mm -hmm. multiple partners or doing it with touching myself when everybody else was a little tired because going 24 
to the 48 hours constant sexual stimulation gets a little tiring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I did that without reaching even a non-ejaculatory orgasm. As soon as that energy built up to where I was on that edge, I'd say, okay, slow down the touch, caress me on my body, do some areas that aren't so hot zoned. Mm -hmm. Let me cool down a minute. And then I'd build it back up and I'd try to stay right on that edge. It's, and when I first started practicing, I could get like 10 points to the edge. Mm -hmm. Over time, I developed the technique where I could get like 0.02 points from the edge. 0 0.02, you know, not mm -hmm. a whole decimal number. Yeah. And when you can get on that edge, you're writing. And I tell people this, I said, how long does a usual orgasm last? But moments. Mm -hmm. But if you get on that edge, you can ride in pleasure for hours. And it's incredible where you can go with this stuff because it's it feels so yummy and good. And your butt when you edge like the like I'm talking about, my balls were swollen up because I'd been playing so long. The little manufacturing plant had produced a lot of sperm down there. <laughs> I know my prostate gland was engorged because it was making all this prosthetic fluid. My the I was dripping out of the top of my cock like you wouldn't believe mm -hmm. just after a few hours of this. Mm -hmm. And I kept that going for a long point of time. And that's when I had my first five-minute orgasm that was in multiples. It wasn't all at once. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it was a constant spurt, 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 and then it subsides slightly and then go again and then go again. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. And so by but trying to stay on that edge of no return, it's everything screaming in your body, let's finish this. Let's get the big orgasm going. And it's mm -hmm. now I want to make this even better. And that's what I told myself. Just hold off. Even though it's pure torture right now, we're going to go deeper. We're going to take it further. And all of a sudden, once I did have that orgasm at the end, it was like the supreme orgasm of my life. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And I've had out of body orgasms doing this. Yeah, like, it's like, like astral projecting orgasms. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'd be floating above myself, and even my I could feel tremors going through that spirit energy. Just an orgasm is it's hard to put into words exactly, but that's the closest I can come. But I'd have this orgasm that just was out of my body. What uh, there wasn't a physical component to it. Is purely a spiritual orgasm i love that what is an energy orgasm and how does one reach one is that basically what you just described or is there a little more to it or nuance that you want there's to a little bit more there's more to it mm -hmm. and one exercise I, I try to guide people through to learn how to do this and you can do it with yourself or with a partner Take your hand and don't touch your body. Lay naked on your bed and just feel the energy fields of your body going from top to bottom, bottom to top. And just feel, where's your hand feeling warmer? Where is it feeling cooler? 
as you go up and down your body. And you can feel those chakra energy coming out. Well, especially at the root chakra, there's a lot of energy. It's a primal energy. And I know when I get my hand just even a foot above my genitals, I feel the heat radiating. Mm -hmm. It's that's a physical, but it's not just physical heat. It's energetic heat. Mm -hmm. And so working with the energy fields, you can reach yourself to higher states of ecstasy and even an energy orgasm, mm -hmm. which is a little different than a physical orgasm. Kate Bornstein did a workshop years ago at a bisexual conference I attended called the non-genital orgasm. And she went through ways to achieve it and guided a room full of bisexuals. There must have been 65 bisexuals in this room. And it took us about an hour. We raised this energy together. We were fully clothed. And it was purely an energy orgasm. We didn't touch our genitals. We didn't touch each other's genitals. We just raised the energy level. And we went into a non-genital orgasm. And it's an energy orgasm, which it's, I, I can't, by the end of it, I was giggling and laughing and crying all at the same time. It was just this, it touched the emotions at a very deep level for me. And it, it works differently in everybody. But for me, it was like I had tears going down my face as I was giggling and my whole body was like tingling and, oh, it felt so good. And there was a deeper sense of connection. I felt connected to everyone in that room at that moment of the energy orgasm. It was just this, yeah. oh, I'm not just me anymore. I'm everybody here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love that. It's in, in any pagan ritual that I've been to that's mm -hmm. had a group, there is a certain connectedness that you can feel with each other. And so yeah. to shift that into a, a communal space, that sounds like a really powerful experience. Oh, it was. And so energy orgasms are a lot different from the physical ones. It's like I say, I didn't ejaculate and I didn't, orgasm in the usual sense of orgasm but the orgasm was there it's more of a vibrational type orgasm i guess if i had to put words to it mm -hmm. but you have to experience it it's not an academic knowing kind of thing it's really an experiential knowing yeah you've mentioned being bisexual a couple of times throughout the show and I wonder how for you does being bisexual fit in with gender and paganism? I often thought being intersex, being something that's not male or female, it kind of throws sexual orientation out the window because there's not a same sex for me and there's not an opposite sex. Mm -hmm. And how do we define homosexual? It's same gendered mm -hmm. partners heterosexual is opposite gendered partners and bisexuals are like both male and female mm -hmm. i wasn't quite male i wasn't quite female 
But for simplicity, I've always been one of these rare 50-50 bisexuals. I'm equally attracted to men and women. Mm-hmm. And most bisexuals, it's a 40-80 or 20-80 or 40-60 or 10-90 mm-hmm. split. You're more attracted to one sex than the other. Mm-hmm. But I've always had this deep attraction to both men and women. I love sucking cock. I love eating pussy. I love it all. Mm-hmm. And I love anal sex. And anal, the anus doesn't really have a gender. Yeah. It, it's a whole different storyboard there. <laughs> and I think of the anal, and this is backed up by scientific evidence, the anus is really the pathway to the emotions when you get into sex. And the head of the penis and the clitoris, the nerve ending, it's a prudential nerve ending, goes to the lower brain stem. Mm-hmm. The prostate gland in men and in women and some of the anal tissue, the nerve pathway is the pelvic nerve. It goes to a higher center in the brain next to the emotional center in the brain. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you have anal play or even prostate play or G-spot play for a woman, it registers in a higher part of our brain Mm -hmm. near the emotion center. And it really, that's why a lot of women will be crying during sex Mm -hmm. or because they're getting that prostate stimulation through the vagina. Yeah. It may be a combination of prostate stimulation as well as clitoral stimulation, but it's going up to the emotional center. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I cry a lot of times when I'm getting having anal sex, but also mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm having the more female side sex, mm-hmm. Because there's, I've discovered ways to stimulate some of the female parts that are still within. I think when they did my surgery, they just did it cosmetically at the surface. Because mm-hmm. I had periods my first year of puberty, and oh, I went wow. through menopause at fifty, so I still have some female parts that are deep in within. Mm-hmm. But I've been able to stimulate those and have those experiences where oh baby <laughs> go into full female mode and and i hate to put the label male or versus female but it's there are different t- tissues but believe it or not we all have identical tissues they're just arranged a little differently yeah and so males have these corresponding tissues and like me being intersex some of those are hard to reach. Mm-hmm. And that's where the study of Taoism and tantric arts come in. There's this place called the Million Dollar Spot, the Taoist Million Dollar Spot. Mm-hmm. And if you run your finger from your genitals down the perineum towards your anal opening, right before you get to the anal opening, you'll feel this kind of slight indenture almost a dimple and it's on both males and females but for males if you press in and vibrate that spot after warming it up and you don't want to just do it cold you want to get yourself excited and aroused Mm -hmm. 
then those vibrations are going to actually go up and give you some stimulation to the prostate gland without having to actually enter the anus and talk about amazing sensations. Mm -hmm. If you've never had a good prostate massage, you're really missing out because it brings on that more emotional type orgasm. And there are many different types of orgasms. We think of orgasm as a singular term, but there's really a whole wide range of orgasms, probably some that we haven't even identified and named yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope I'm not going too far afield on no, your question. No, no, you're doing so great. There's actually, you're like, within your answers, you're answering multiple questions at once. So I'm just like trying to figure out where to go next. I do want to make sure we have time to talk specifically about sacred harlotry and Aphrodite's temple. So how did you get started with the sacred harlots? I originally started temple before I ran into another group that were sacred harlots. I started uh, Aphrodite's temple about 25 years ago now for pagan festivals and then later for regional Burning Man events mm -hmm. and also for some BDSM groups that I'm involved with. And basically, I wanted to bring the sacredness back to sexuality. And I came across, I grew up, my father was a minister and sex was, in our culture, is considered a sin. It's considered, and unless you do it under very prescribed boy meets girl, mm -hmm. gets married, has 2.5 kids and a white picket fence kind of equation, yeah. sex is a sin. And I looked at, I, I think it was that first philosophy course of religions that I learned that that hadn't always been the equation. Mm -hmm. In ancient days, there's no concept of sex equals sin. The concept was sex equals sacred. Yeah. And that's when I kind of got into this thought pattern of we need to, I need to make this a sacred act, not just something I do in, in secret and feeling dirty and ashamed of. Mm -hmm. I want to celebrate the gift of the goddess and it was then that i realized the creator whatever created us whatever your religious path or maybe you think is just through evolution whatever designed our bodies designed us as sexual bodies we're wired for it mm -hmm. our whole neurological system is wired for sex and i look at that as by looking at the equation sex equals sacred honoring the gift of the creator that the creator gave me in this life to enjoy sex mm -hmm. to enjoy the pleasures of the body and to say sex is sinful is slapping the creator in the face and going on denying your creation or a part of your creation and that's when I've made that flip from oh, this isn't something I should be ashamed of. This is something beautiful and sacred. And I even built an altar and shrines to sexuality. Oh. I, I carved a 
wooden phallus and you can see it in the background on my altar right oh nice over yeah. there yeah yeah it stands you about two that? and a half feet tall yeah i carved wow. it out of a log of red cedar that's really cool and it took me i don't know if you've ever with cedar but to sand it down so smooth like i did it's like i had to go down to mirror glass sandpaper to get it to that polished look i sanded that thing for months yeah <laughs> and and that was part of what i wanted to decorate my art altar with and i also did a i can't show it to you right now but i did a for a sculpting class i did a bell pepper with a slice cut out and inside the slice you can see the yanni carved a complete yanni the vulva for women and so i celebrate both the male and female energy on altar and created this altar to bring sacredness to sexuality yeah whoops do we get cut off again or uh, oh, the, the end of your on. sentence did, but I heard you say that you created these things to create an altar to sacred sexuality. And it's also utilizing that altar in some of my sex practices. Mm -hmm. In the ancient sex temples, people didn't just go to worship the deities. They were, went to be worshipped and to worship other patrons mm -hmm. of the temple to worship the beauty of our bodies and yeah. to really partake of the pleasures of the flesh mm -hmm. in celebration of the gift of the goddess. Yeah. And I think that's a better approach than, oh, sex is sinful and bad. <laughs> totally. So what is Aphrodite's temple? You've mentioned it a handful of times, but if you were to like <laughs> say like a mission statement or a, why does this exist? What is it? And is there anything else you want to say about how the temple got started? Yeah, basically I'll go into a little history here because when I first got into this pagan group, I said, shouldn't there be some kind of uh, sexual side to paganism? And mm -hmm. they were going, well, that you keep that in your tent in private. And I thought, ooh, that, that sounds like mainstream society. And I thought, I'm going to bring Aphrodite's uh, temple here. I didn't want to copy and use uh, Ishtar. I decided Aphrodite's the goddess, Greek goddess of love. And I want to bring love back to paganism, mm -hmm. sexual love. And they said, you can do it, but we can't put it in the program. About four in the morning, I had a line of people outside my tent waiting to get in for their turn. <laughs> okay. I'm curious if you mentioned which flavor of paganism it is. I would guess it might be either the fairies or reclaiming. Those are the two branches of paganism that I've heard that do camps that also have Aphrodite's temple at them. Basically, the first group I joined was Council of Magical Arts. And it's a kind of eclectic pagan group. They accept everything from Celtic to Wiccan to no matter what branch of paganism you're into, even Egyptian, you name it. It was open to everybody. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what your practice or your path, 
it was all celebrated. So we all came together and shared in our common umbrella of paganism. Mm -hmm. And so I brought in the path of the sacred harlot to the Council of Magical Arts. (laughs) That's so awesome. It's traveled. I've seen this concept appear other places. Yeah. That's so cool. And so, and, and I think, I think part of we're in Texas and there wasn't a big enough group of any one sect of pagans. So we had to come together and form a kind of umbrella group that celebrated everybody. And so part of that path was being inclusive and being honorable and honoring each other's differences as well as our similarities. I love I love all of this so much. What a what a fun conversation we're having. So you had a line of people outside of your tent from eleven AM until the morning. Or eleven PM yeah. until the morning. And And that was what... the first festival I ran at. Yeah. And that and so, was every night. Did you sleep during and... the day? <laughs> or I, you just I can didn't get sleep? by <laughs> Well, being ADHD, I can go with like cat naps. Yeah round the clock wow that's incredible i would be so tired at the end of that i can so anyway the next festival i hope we're still on yeah the next festival i said i need a bigger tent yeah you do (laughs) and so i got 28 by 10 tarps and built a wall where we could have a bigger tent and for the first time we did it under the stars and we had and the same thing happened again. CMA was pretty big organization by that point. Mm-hmm. And we had a line outside a temple most of the night. And we had what we call puppy piles, people consenting and for group sex and had a bunch of puppy piles all over the temple. And then people one-on-one and some people just masturbating watching and enjoying and part of temple is to bring this sacredness and connection back to sexuality i believe that there's a symbiotic relationship between consensual voyeurs and exhibitionists Mm -hmm. they feed on each other yeah totally i come home and go oh guess what i discovered let me show you this new technique. <laughs> and it's so beautiful because we learn new things to do for each other that would take our pleasure to the next level. Yeah. So you'd go study up and then come home with, here's the 501 course yeah. amount of information. Also, I think for me, and you asked earlier about me being bisexual, mm-hmm. I found when I tried to be monogamous and I was either with, and I had a couple of monogamous relationships with a boy at one point, a girl at one point. And each time I tried it, it felt like something was missing. Mm -hmm. I needed that male energy from a partner. I needed that Mm -hmm. female energy. And when one was missing, it felt like a void in my life. Yeah. And I think that's part of it too, is that when you start getting into group sex, all of a sudden you get the masculine and the feminine mysteries Mm -hmm. all together opening before our eyes. 
-hmm. and we share and we get into this deeper level of sexuality. Mm -hmm. But part of temple is also about education. Yeah. It's teaching people all the techniques and different ways to learn about our bodies and each other's bodies. You would not believe. I saw not just too long ago, about six, eight months ago, they did this thing where they had 200 people, 100 boys, 100 girls, draw a picture of the phallus and the vulva. Mm -hmm. Guess how many got the phallus correct? The male most, genitalia. Most of them. Correct. Probably most of them. About 99%. Yeah. Guess how many got the vulva correct? Five percent. Less than two percent. Oh my gosh. Even women don't own bodies. Yeah. And I thought this is very sad. We need to educate people. So part of Temple, my purpose in Temple is to educate each other on what number one, what is sex? Because too many times in our culture, the whole goal is to reach an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And we're in a big hurry to get there. We forget about the journey. Mm -hmm. And so I teach people, hey, let's refocus on the journey and just let the orgasm happen if it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Don't try to make it happen. Enjoy the pleasures and refocus. Mm -hmm. And so I teach people techniques on how to pleasure the, not just the genitals, but the whole body. Yeah. And so that's a big part of what Aphrodite's temple is bringing that sacredness to sexuality, but also bringing the education in and saying, this is how to do it. Because we're not given a good sexual, well, we get no sex ed for most of us. We're lucky if we get a little bit. Yeah. Most of it's, oh, all about STIs or all about pregnancy or unwanted pregnancy or mm -hmm. scare tactics. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's not about, about consequences, not pleasure. Yeah. And I was fortunate when I was young, I got a copy of the Kama Sutra and that's a much better sex education. <laughs> Whoops, I'm glad, I'm, glad you got a, I'm glad you got a copy as a young person. How does one become yeah. a sacred harlot and what are the skills required? Basically, we do have kind of a process where I ask people to first be a temple worker, which is basically assisting people really getting into the environment of temple and how it works mm -hmm. for a period of time. And then if it feels like they have the calling for it, then I invite them to start the training and me and several of the other people that help me run temple will put you through some training how to work with people mm -hmm. and it's like a lot of it's we're here not to have sex with everybody a lot of people think oh if i'm going to be a sacred harlot i'm going to be fucking everything that moves <laughs> no mm -hmm. we're here to facilitate sexuality yeah. we're here to be the container safe space container and ensure that everybody's 
that it's safe, sane, consensual, in between consenting adults, and that we're communicating and creating an environment where in an openness because in most relationships how often do you get to sit down and really specifically talk about sex and what you want Mm -hmm. and so part of it is i teach people how to ask what do you want and we do a lot of rituals around what do you want to experience tonight in temple yeah. What's your heart's desire? And can you name it? I believe there's a power in naming. If you can name it, then it helps manifest it. Yeah. If it's something kind of fuzzy picture in your brain, I think I want something, but I can't really tell what it is, then how are you going to get there? So I think one of the first steps is to be able to name specifically what do you want? How do you want to be touched? How do you want to touch others? How do you want to raise sexual energy? Because there's many different forms of sexual expression that you can choose from. Yeah. And so putting some names to it and saying, tonight I want to try X, Y, and Z. I want to come up and feel your body next to mine before we even touch just being close in the woods on this cool night and feeling our body heat as we come together and feel this whole sensation of being naked with another person. In our culture, we're required to wear clothes all the time at most functions. Well, fortunately, the pagan groups I belong to are clothing optional. And in temple, I have a requirement. You either go naked or you wear erotic clothing, but don't wear street clothes. Mm -hmm. Because I want you to give some of your energy to the group. Don't just come in and be in your mundane space. I want you to come in and ignite some part of your erotic self. And put back to the circle. Don't just take from the circle. Yeah. The ritual garb is sky clad. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love that. And for those that don't know what sky clad is, that's running around naked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're wearing nothing but the stars. <laughs> nothing but starlight. And okay. I've done at this last Beltane, we, I do rituals at Temple too. And we did the stag hunt. Mm-hmm. And People could either be stags or hunters. And it's getting into the primal side of sexuality. It's letting that, if you want to be a stag, getting in touch with the animal part of yourself and really getting into that raw animal sexuality. To be a hunter, you're getting more into the mindset of the the tribal, coming together as a tribe, not just as an individual. In our culture, we're taught to be highly individualistic and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, not count on each other, but to be self-sufficient. And so we strip some of that away and say, for tonight, you're going to be a hunter as a part of a tribe. Mm -hmm. And you're going to paint or hunting paint on your bodies 
in preparation for this hunt. And then I go out to the stags and I steal their ability to talk. I'm the evil genie that appears and says, at this point, you cannot, you don't have human speech anymore. All you can do is grunt. And all of a sudden your sense of smell is getting stronger. You're smelling some of the deer coming in heat. And this smell is driving you crazy with desire. Go out and mark your territory so you can get plenty of deer, you big juicy stags. Stomp the ground, pee, and mark your territory if you want to do it with urine. Or you can just mark it by rubbing up against trees and putting your body scent on trees. And I get them into this more primal, basic state of mind. And people after the ritual have actually come up to me and said, boy, during that ritual, my sensory perceptions of everything change. I could see in the dark. We do this at night. Usually, hopefully there's a full moon or a partial moon. And we do it with no flashlights we do it with just feeling your way through the ritual mm -hmm. and i set up the territory for the hunt and then the hunt begins after the tribes people have painted their bodies i have them first do a ceremonial dance around the campfire to ensure a successful hunt and then I ring the bell and the hunt begins and I give them about an hour for the hunt and the stags are out hidden in their territories trying to not get captured or some of them may want to get captured. <laughs> and then the ritual ends when I ring the bell and everybody comes back in bringing the stags that they caught. Mm -hmm. And then we go back Usually we do that out in the woods somewhere. And then we go back over to where I have Aphrodite's temple set up. And I say, okay, now it's time for the stags and the hunters to negotiate what services the stags will provide their hunters for release back to the wild. These can be sexual or they can be just very intimate. You can give your, have your stag give you a body massage or maybe just dance with your hunter and, or whatever you decide, it's time for negotiations. Mm -hmm. And I give them uh, the time to negotiate. And we've got rules and temple. Everything's got to be safe, sane, and consensual. And it's mm -hmm. got to be explicit consent. You can't just say, oh, I want to have sex with you. Now, you've got to explain what do you mean by sex? Mm -hmm. Oh, I want, to, I want to suck your dick or I want to eat your pussy or I want to touch your breasts or I want to play with your nipples or I want to caress your whole body. You've got to be very specific in your negotiations and say, this is what I want. And then the stag and the hunter each say what they want and then they find where's the common mm -hmm. what are the where can we meet in between because there's always going to be some differences 
there's yeah. going to be one party that wants one thing and then another party that wants another thing. And so it's figuring out, okay, where do we meet in the middle and what do we both want together that we can give to each other? And then we open temple for adult play. And that's when the magic happens. (laughs) Yes. Insert magic here. (laughs) And it's very powerful. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. Is there, is there anything else that you want to share about Aphrodite's temple before we move towards our sort of wrapping it up question? Yeah, I think one of the things, and this is stories I've heard over and over again, people have come to Aphrodite's temple and some of them, I've been running it for over 25 years now. And I've had people come up years later and they missed some events. They hadn't been to a festival in a couple of years. And they come up and search me out and they go, Gigi, I've got to tell you, that night in Temple three years ago, that transformed my life. It opened a door that I, I can't close it now. And I don't want to. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I said, I've experienced things in Temple that open things up. Me and my partner were having a rough time before that. And now we're closer than ever because we learned how to have better communication. Mm -hmm. We had better sex. And we felt a lot more whole about the sex we were having. Mm -hmm. And I've had women come up and say, I wasn't so self-conscious about my body after coming to a temple. It's, I used to feel like, oh, if I make too much noise or if I don't look a certain way or if he looks at my left breast is a little bit bigger than my right breast, they're going to think I'm weird. And they said, before that's what went through my head. But now after going through temple, I don't think any of that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's It opened a whole new door for me to fully experience sex. Yeah. And so I think it, the big takeaway for Aphrodite's temple is it heals us because we all get wounds from living in a sex-negative culture and having this Hollywood sense of what true beauty is supposed to be versus what real beauty is and real beauty shines out it's not just a physical when you when your eyes light up and you have that spark Mm -hmm. and that energy that brings out that inner beauty that can shine out and i tell people i said i've been doing temple over 25 years now I've never seen an ugly face when they're in the throes of orgasms. I've only seen pure, exquisite beauty Yeah. while people are in the throes of orgasm. There's a light that shines out that transcends even physical beauty. Oh, that's kind of my wrap-up of Aphrodite's temple. It's <laughs> so good. I'll briefly share a story with you on the topic of Aphrodite and sacred sexuality. So... I don't know if you probably have heard of the concept of aspecting, but it's essentially like bringing the divine or the higher power or a god or goddess of your choice into your body. Yeah. Um, Drawing down the sun and the moon. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there has been times in my life where I have aspected Aphrodite into various body parts 
and had sex while in aspect as an offering to Aphrodite through my body, which is pretty cool. Yeah. We've actually performed the great rite in temple for people that wanted to get hand fasted and wanted to do it as the ancients did it. And oh, nice. so the, they draw down the sun and the moon, the couple would, and just perform sexual intercourse and we've even done it for gay couples and for lesbians and for all in between. But whoever wants to get hand fasted can come. And hand fasting's a separate ritual than the drawing down the sun and the moon, the great ride. Yeah. But a lot of couples want to perform both. And that kind of helps. That's the full process of hand fasting. It's bringing that consecration of the relationship to full being. Okay. <laughs> Can you share an experience with gender euphoria, a time that you felt really good about your gender? I think I actually one story that really took off for me. I'd been telling people as a hermaphrodite from day one at the pagan gatherings. And it was about four or five years ago, some of the elder women came up to me and they said, Gigi, we'd like to perform a, both a saging and a croning ritual for you because you've gotten a little older now. Wow. That's awesome. Croning, croning rituals are really special. Not just a croning. It was a saging and a croning. Yeah. A saging is for men that are I see. transitioning you don't mean smudging. into you an mean... elder. Okay, got it. Now I got it. And a crowning ritual is for women that are passing on into their elder years. Gotcha. And that okay. was the first time an organization has honored me as a hermaphrodite. That's so awesome. And I just started crying at the time. It's just so to be touched that way and to be recognized that way. And they said that you've brought the temple, the gift of Aphrodite's temple to us. We want to honor you for who and what you are. I love and that. that was just so beautiful to be rec not only recognized, but recognized as a hermaphrodite in the role and function that the ancients performed that somehow I accomplished my life mission to bring back, or one of my life missions, to bring back the role and function of people that are either hermaphrodites, intersex, or trans. Because mm -hmm. even in ancient days, the trans had a, trans community had a very special place in many ancient societies. Mm-hmm. And if you read Raven Caldera's book, Dark Moon Rising. Yeah. And even Hermaphrodites. I was going to mention Hermaphrodites. Yeah. Yeah. Both books touch on some of the ancient ways that, that are, we have roots, those of us in the trans community, we have roots that go way back to ancient days where we were honored and where we were a functioning part of society 
and brought something that was seen by society as a very precious gift. We were the gifted ones in this area. Yeah. And so I think that was my realization at that moment that, oh, they've recognized me for who exactly who and what I dreamed to be. I've, I've accomplished this now. I am the she-man. I love that. The last question that I like to ask my guests is, what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans or intersex or hermaphrodite-related issues? I think, number one, quit doing non-consensual surgeries on infants. Yep. That's my body you're fucking with. Yeah. Quit doing it. And number two, I think, from why should I ask you to be choose to be a girl or a boy or something in between when you were born to be a girl or a boy? Why should that question even come up? Why do you are you asking that of me to be something I wasn't born to be? Hmm. And he said, Oh, you should just choose one. I said, Why? I'm not asking you to choose one. <laughs> I'm not asking you to be something you're not born to be. Why should I be asked that? Why should it even be a question? And yet you would be surprised how many people ask me that. You should just choose one or the other. Hey, the creator made me this way. (laughs) Yeah. I want to thank you so much for being my mm-hmm. my guest today and being on the show. I it, it would be so easy to sit here and talk to you for another six hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's been such a delight to share time and space and have this conversation. And I um, hope I've given you everything you wanted for this show. <laughs> you have performed admirably. We were all on the edge of our seats the whole time. And yeah, the folks in the chat really enjoyed it. And these two cute kittens next to me have been doing all the Tantra shapes just for you. Believe it or not, we get a lot of wild creatures coming, wandering into temple when it's active. Yeah. Animals are very attracted to sex energy. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good energy. So I want to make sure that I verbally mention a lot of the things that are available for folks if they want to learn more about you. So we've got your website, ladyboytemple.com. And you mentioned that that's your site for Aphrodite's Temple. And then ggwilbur.com is your website for sex coaching. So you're available for, I'm imagining, maybe private lessons and maybe also couples lessons maybe even group things i would guess yeah and so if folks Mm -hmm. want to get involved with lady boy temple is that mostly just available in texas is it ever online is it multiple festivals throughout the country or world we we were doing it online for a while but participation wasn't i think everybody here is too spoiled coming to temple in person (laughs) And But I will reactivate it once we have enough people. And the way I was running it, I'd do a workshop for half of the, and we'd meet once a month for three hours. The first hour and a half, I'd do a workshop on a topic that people would want to learn more about how to give a better blowjob or how to make a deeper connection or even how to give a Taoist genital massage, 
or any number of topics. Mm -hmm. And then the second half, we do a more hands-on, which is optional. People could watch if they didn't feel comfortable participating, Mm -hmm. but we do it on Zoom where everybody, and you could be on camera or off camera, depending on how you feel. Because I want Temple to be open And I know that from experience, we've had people come into temple in the past and they'll come in and sit in the corner and observe. And and then a couple of years later, they're out in the middle of the orgy. They just kind of warm up to (laughs) it. It it takes time to, it's a process. It's not something you just immediately, oh, I'm there. It can happen, but for most people, they need time to process because the emotional side can be pretty deep. It yeah. can be very vulnerable. Sex is a vulnerable thing. Yeah. When we have sex, especially sex in a semi-public setting, you're becoming very vulnerable, yeah. even on Zoom. And so it takes time to process. But I've had people come in and say, the first time I went naked in temple, it changed my whole life. I felt so much better about myself. I wasn't so self-conscious about my body anymore and we're real people real bodies we we don't have makeup artists and lighting experts and hairdressers and the whole crew that creates the hollywood illusion of what true beauty should be mm-hmm. we are real human beautiful beings just as we are and i think that's one of the powerful effects of temple is that we can become shining and beautiful. We're all made out of stardust. And when we spark it with ecstasy and with eroticism, all of a sudden it ignites something in our souls and we radiate like the sun. And if folks also want to catch your podcast, it looks, I found adult bedtime stories on Red Circle. Is that yours? Yes. Awesome. Red Circle is my podcast okay. and it's the sex education you didn't get in high school, but it should have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, for those who, I just dropped the link to that in the chat and I'll make sure to include it in the show notes as well. So folks are listening to this episode after we publish it. They'll have all the links to all these things and they can go follow and subscribe and check out your websites. Do you have any upcoming events that you want to make sure that you mention? We just finished Beltane mm-hmm. Pagan Yesterday, Festival. Or two days ago. It was last weekend. We had okay. it ahead of time yeah. for the Beltane celebrations. Next fall, we'll be having Aphrodite's Temple for Samhain, which is a little cool. bit more somber. That's interesting. And during Samhain, I do the, the this kind of a little bit darker ritual. It's exploring our taboos mm-hmm. and walking down the the path of sexual darkness and shedding light on some of the darker sides of sexuality. Mm. So it's a little more somber, but it's embracing and looking at and examining do we really want to keep this taboo in our life is it serving us mm-hmm. or can we come up with a better system <laughs> and what better better time than when the veil is thin 
Yes. <laughs> yes. There's the least resistance to change. I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here. It's been yeah. such a delight to have you on the show, Gigi. I just want to let the chat know that next week's guest is going to be more than Mimi, who uses she, they pronouns. And we're going to be discussing trans storytelling. So if you want to catch that, we're going to be starting an hour later than usual so that we can raid over to the transverse afterwards. And, Jennifer, go ahead. Go ahead. And happy 50th episode. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's amazing that we've made 50. It's like... The first one was just me talking for half an hour and I had to edit it so much. <laughs> and my goodness, have we come a long way in 50 episodes. It's incredible. Thank you for the congratulations. It's very cool. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays and keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio only versions.